Well, let, let, let me pray so that we can uh, transition into God's Word, okay? Dear Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you for bringing us here safely. Thank you for the fellowship that we already had and, um, and being able to sing songs to you for your glory about the gospel and, and Jesus Christ. We are thankful that we could reschedule our camp and be here this weekend. And uh, we just want to uh, humble ourselves now and bow our, our knees and our hearts to your word and submit to it. Help us to listen. Help us to pay attention. I know we've had long days uh, at school, at work. We ask that you would help us to really understand and really believe what we're, what we're going to hear from your word. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, the, the theme of this year's camp is uh, beliefs that prevent and lead to salvation. Beliefs that prevent or lead to salvation. So I'm talking about things that you believe in, okay, specifically about yourself. Okay? Beliefs that you believe in, specifically about yourself, that, that can either prevent you from being saved, okay, becoming a Christian, or lead you okay, to being saved, to become a Christian. So we're going to cover the first one tonight, which means the, the first half, which is beliefs that prevent you from being saved. And then, and then tomorrow morning, tomorrow night, and Sunday morning, we're, we're going to spend the rest of the weekend covering the beliefs that lead to salvation. And I thought about that, that theme because every, really every Sunday, and especially every camp, I just think about who I'm talking to. I'm thinking about my audience. Yes, I'm thinking about uh, what, what, I, what I would like to teach, uh, what passages I would like to preach. But at the same time, I'm thinking about my audience. Even though, even though I've been with you, most of you guys, for six years, I'm always thinking about um, that some of, you, some of you know you're a Christian. Okay, Some of you do know you're a Christian. But then some of you uh, know that you're not that you're not saved, that you're not a Christian. But then there's that third category of you uh, that some of you don't know whether you're a Christian or not. Like you, you, you honestly do not know. Sometimes you think you are, but sometimes you, sometimes you don't think you are. And then the fourth category is this. Some of you um, think you are a Christian when you're really not. And you're confident that you are. Uh, you tell your parents that you are, you tell your leaders that you are, you tell your classmates that you are. But when people look at your life, when people ask how you got saved, when people ask how you know if you're saved, you really don't, you don't really have a good biblical answer. So you think you are when you're really not. So, so I believe those, those four categories of, of people are in this room. Those who know they're Christians, those who, who, don't, who, uh, who, who know they're not Christians, those who... Don't know if, they're, if they are or not. And then those who think they are, but they're really not. So I've been thinking about that since, you know, January. Because we were supposed to have camp the end of January. So I've been thinking about that since January all the way to March now. Of what I would like to teach you guys. And, and that's what I came up with. Beliefs that prevent or lead to salvation. So wherever you are spiritually, you're, you're there because of what you believe. Okay, think about that. Wherever you are spiritually, out of those four categories that I just mentioned, you are there 
because of what you believe. And like I said earlier, mainly because of what you believe about yourself. What you believe about yourself. So my goal this weekend, starting tonight, is to point you to God's word so you can know if what you're believing is true and if that belief is causing you to not be saved or causing you to be saved. So I'm here to to help you um, look into that. So tonight we're going to look at that first one, beliefs that prevent salvation. And I want you to grab your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 10. Okay, Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. If you uh, forgot your Bible, um, you can share with your neighbor or ask one of the leaders. Mark chapter 10. And here's the outline. Um, Session 1, Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. What beliefs prevent you from being saved? Okay, beliefs that prevent you from being saved. You guys there? Mark chapter 10. And in your uh, little pamphlet, if you don't have a notebook, you should have room there for uh, note-taking if you'd like. Mark chapter 10. Follow as I read this story of the religious rich young man. Okay, that's, that's what, I, after studying this, this person, that's what I'm calling him. People, people say that this is the rich young ruler. It's really the, the rich religious young man. Emphasis on religious. Okay? Look at verse 17. Mark writes this story, starting in verse 17. As he, that's Jesus, capital H, was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And... He said to him, Teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But at these words, he was saddened. And he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, With people it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, 
Behold, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, and also in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So that's the story of the rich, young, religious man. Okay? And here's our outline for tonight. What beliefs prevent you from being saved? What beliefs prevent you from being saved? And here's the first belief. Again, again, I'm, I'm focusing on beliefs that you believe about yourself. Okay? And that belief is either preventing you from being saved or leading you to salvation. And, and tonight is the negative side, beliefs that prevent you from being saved. And here's the first one, that you're good. If you believe that you are a good person, you're going to have a hard time being saved. That's what Jesus is going to teach us first. Look at verse 17. As he, okay, that's Jesus, was setting out on a journey on his way to Jerusalem. Because remember, um, this is chapter 10. Uh, In a few chapters, Jesus is going to start heading to Jerusalem to do what? To suffer and to be persecuted and to die on the cross and, and rose and, and, and would rise later on, three days later. So he was setting out on a journey on his way to Jerusalem. And a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You can paraphrase that by saying, Hey, good teacher, how can I be saved? Right? It'll, it, it can be like, you know, you're, you're, on, you're, you're on the plane. Or, you know, you can, you can say on the bus to school, right? And then random student sits next to you and just says, hey, buddy, what shall I do to be a Christian? It's like that. It's that kind of event. It's that kind of situation. It's like the $1 billion question. Um, Jesus is getting this $1 billion question. It's the question of all questions from this rich religious young man Asking him, how can I be saved? How can I become a Christian? Look at verse 18. And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, Jesus is not uh, avoiding or ignoring this young man's question. It's not like, you know, when our parents ask us a question, then we answer with another question because we don't want to answer the question. That's not what Jesus is doing here. What Jesus is doing here is he is correcting the young man's definition of good because he has a low view of, of good, which we will see in a little bit as the story unfolds. This young man has a low view of good. Jesus is telling him, hey, young man, God is the only one who's good. That's number one. Number two, he's the only one who sets the standard of good. And then number three, he, since he is God who sets the standard of good, he, de- he can demand all people to meet that standard of good. That's why Jesus say. God is the only one who is good. He already kind of knows 
that this young man has a low, low standard of goodness. So now he finally answers this question. Look at verse 19. Jesus answers the young man's question. How can I be saved? How can I receive eternal life? Verse 19, here's the answer, young man. You know the commandments. And he's referring to the Ten Commandments. The perfect ten. And notice what Jesus is doing here. Okay, he, um, You'll notice that he's only going to refer to the second half of the commandments, from commandment number five all the way to commandment number ten. And he's intentionally leaving out the first half, one to four. And, and you'll connect the dots in a little bit. Look at, look at uh, the, the commandments that Jesus is referring to here. The second half. He says, do not murder. That's commandment number what? Six. Right? Do not commit adultery. Commandment number seven. Do not steal. Number eight. Do not bear false witness. Number nine, do not defraud. Mm. Mm. It's not there. But you know what's the fifth commandment? Do not what? Oh, that's, sorry. You know what, what number 10 is? Do not, do not covet. So Jesus, I think, you know, he, he is referring to coveting. Coveting is to have a sinful desire for something that God has not given you. That's coveting, right? It's a, it's a, it's a heart issue. It's a, it's a sinful desire in your heart. To, to defraud is the acting out of that, okay? If I'm coveting something that's in my heart, if I defraud that person, that means, that means I, I'm taking what I wanted from that person. So Jesus must be saying that this young man has not only committed covetousness, but also has defrauded other people. So he calls, he calls the 10th commandment as defrauding. Now, here's the last one. Honor your father and mother. And you guys already said that this is number what? Five. Number five. Okay, so he covers five through 10. The second after the 10 commandments. Now, look at the young, man, young man's response in verse 20. And he said to him, this young man responds to Jesus with this statement. Teacher, I've kept all these things. Okay? 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. All of them, I've kept all of them, meaning I've obeyed all of them from my youth up since I was in Awana. You see my badges? I've been to Awana. I've been to Kids for Truth. Now we're in Adventure Club. I've done all of those kids programs. I've kept all these things from my youth up. He's pretty, he's pretty much telling Jesus, if, if, that's, um, if that's the requirement for being saved, if that's your answer to my question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life, then I'm the most qualified person in the world. I've kept all of those things since I was little. I appreciate you as, uh, answering my question, what shall I do to inherit into eternal life? I'm glad that you gave me the six, but... <coughs> You know, I wasn't surprised. I wasn't surprised. I'm, I'm very qualified. I've kept all these things. You know what this rich, young, religious man is really saying? I am a what? Perfect. I am a good person. I'm a pretty good person since I've been a little kid. Look at Jesus' response. Verse 21. 
looking at him, or while he was looking at him, he felt a love for him. The word love here is where we get that word agape love. This is a deep kind of love. I don't know if he's met this young man before. That's not the point. The point here is that he he already loves this young man. He felt a an agape love for him, a deep kind of love for him, and said to him, Jesus said to him, One thing you lack, though, young man, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. So, he had the second half of the Ten Commandments down, but he failed to keep the what? The first half. If you can summarize the first half of the Ten Commandments, it is to really forsake your idols and love who? God alone. Right? The first half of the Ten Commandments is vertical. Your relationship with God, that you love God above all things and and that you don't love other gods before Him. That's the the vertical part of the, the first half of the Ten Commandments. The second half is the horizontal. You know, honor your father and mother. Do not covet all those things that he discovered that the young man said, hey, I'm good enough. I've kept all those things. So Jesus is targeting an idol of this young man that he really loves. Material things. That's why he's challenging him and asking him to give that up to see if he really loves God above his material things, above his Wealth and riches. But unfortunately, he wasn't willing to do that. And his story ends really sad. Look at verse 22. But at these words, okay, what Jesus just asked him to do, the test, the real test, are you willing to forsake your idols, love for money and wealth and material things and possessions, so that you can love God above all those things and be a disciple of Jesus, Jesus Christ, a learner, a follower of Jesus Christ. That statement, that command, that challenge, when he heard that, he was saddened. Literally, to have a gloomy face. To have a gloomy face. And it's not like, oh, I can't believe, I can't believe I can't be saved. I asked the wrong, I, I, I went to the right person, it's Jesus. I asked the right question, the one billion dollar question. How, what, what shall I do in eternal life? And then I guess it just, it just didn't work out. I didn't, I didn't get it. I'm saddened, gloomy face. That's not what's happening here. The, the, the word saddened here, to have a gloomy face, is, is more of to be shocked. He was shocked. It's more of like, I can't believe what you just said to me. What do you mean that I'm not Good enough. What do you mean that obeying number five, uh, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten is not good enough for you? How, 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 how dare you ask me to give up my material possessions? Who are you to command me to forsake my, my wealth and riches? Just to be your disciple? Just to follow you? The things that I've kept since I was... In my youth, that's not good enough for you? How dare you? That's shocking to me. That's that word sad in there. But at these words, he was shocked. He was saddened. 
and he, and he went away grieving. Why? Look at the end of verse 22. Why? For because he was one who owned much property. That's interesting, right? He didn't go away saddened and grieving because he didn't get saved. <laughs> he went away sad, shocked, and grieving because he couldn't believe that Jesus didn't think that he was good enough and that Jesus was asking him to forgive his property, his possessions. He thought he was a good person. That kept him from getting saved. So listen, students, you can easily relate to this young man, to this person. Easily relatable to you. Matthew says in his story that this man was young. You guys are young. Luke says in his story that he was extremely rich. All of you are rich in God's eyes. You have your needs met. You have clothes. You have food. You can come to camp. And then here, Mark says that he was eager in his search for salvation. Look back in in verse 17. In verse 17, as as Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him, so that's eagerness, and knelt down before him, that's eagerness, and asked him the question. So he was eager to find out how to be saved. He went to the right person, Jesus Christ, the Savior, and he asked the right question. But sadly, like how the story ended, sadly, what prevented him from being saved wasn't because he was young, it wasn't because he was rich, and it wasn't because he wasn't eager enough in his search for salvation. What prevented him from being saved is his personal belief that he was a what? A good person. That kept him from salvation and being a follower of Jesus Christ. So that's the first belief that, that is going to prevent, prevent you from being saved. He's, here's the second one, that, that you are able, that you have the ability to do anything good, that you have the ability to do anything spiritual, that you have the ability to do anything that glorifies God, that you have the ability to save yourself. If you think that you have that kind of ability, you're not going to get saved. You're not going to be a a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 23. So the young man leaves the scene, right? Saddened and grieved, shocked that he wasn't savable in God's eyes because he wasn't satisfied with Jesus' answer. So he leaves the scene, and now it's just Jesus and the disciples, okay? Just Jesus and the 12. And Jesus is going to use this private moment to teach them an important lesson, okay? And, and you'll uh, pick up on that lesson. Look at verse 23. And Jesus, looking around, okay, they're still walking. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God, Okay? He's saying, it is hard for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Still kind of referring to what just happened with the rich 
religious young man because he wasn't willing to give up his property, his possession. So he's saying, see guys, it is hard. It is hard for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus is not saying that, it, that, that the poor are more savable. Okay? Rich people, oh man, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take me a lot of work to save people like that. Oh, poor people, oh, they're easier to save. That's not what Jesus is saying. He, he's just referring to what prevented the rich religious young man from being saved. It wasn't really his property. It was his love for the property and his unwillingness to love God above his property. That's what he's saying. Now look at the reaction of the disciples, verse 24. And the disciples were amazed at his words. Now the, the word amazed here is not, is not the typical word or, or the definitions like, wow, such wisdom. It's not that. There's a lot of definitions or uses for this word amazed. Here it's more of a surprise kind of definition. They were surprised by Jesus' statement. They kind of didn't get it. What do you mean it's hard for the, wealth, the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? So, so Jesus clarifies himself by restating the same statement. So he, he's going to restate the same statement because they were, they were surprised by it. They kind of didn't get it. He's going to restate the same statement and then he's going to use an illustration to hopefully help them get, get what he just said. Okay, look at, look at 24 again. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, children, right, taking it down to, the, to their level, children, how, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 25, it is easier, here's the illustration, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle then for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I was thinking about uh, Jesus' illustration, and I'm going to illustrate it with my own illustration. Um, animals have the ability of doing crazy things. you guys agree? Crazy things. Um, when I was, a, when I was a, uh, a firefighter, I saw a few, a uh, couple of times, a few, few times, when a cat... Uh, got stuck in, in like this tiny little pipe underground. And we're like, how did the cat get in there? And it's still alive. And, and I've also heard um, snakes have the ability to like come out of a bathtub drain. And you're like, how did that happen? <laughs> That's crazy, right? A cat to end up in a pipe underground a snake come out of the bathtub drain. That's just crazy stuff. And, um, and those things are very rare, but they are still very, what, possible. Right? I mean, they've happened numerous times. But you know what's impossible? You know what's impossible? A, a turtle on top of a fence post. <laughs> what's that? Say it again. I, did, I said that? No. Who said that? Oh, the guy? Oh. I was, listen, I was listening. <laughs> the guest speaker. <laughs> yeah, a turtle on top of a fence post. Uh, can you see a turtle on top of a fence post? You can, right? But you know that it didn't get there on its own. Right? It didn't get there on its own. Well, it's kind of the same here that Jesus is talking about. 
Um, Jesus is saying here that it's impossible for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. Just like a turtle climbing up on its own and setting itself on top of a fence post. That's, that's impossible. Okay? It, it's, not like, it's not like cats and pipes and, and snakes out of bathtub, bathtub drains. Those are rare, but they're still very possible. But these types of stuff, Jesus is saying, that's impossible. You will never see that. That will never happen. But here's Jesus' point okay, with the illustration. Even though that's impossible, a whole camel to go through an eye of a needle, even though that's impossible, it actually has a much, much higher chance of happening than for a sinner to forsake his sin, to believe the gospel, to say, I love God, and I'm going to give my life up for Jesus Christ and become his disciple and follower. A camel going through an eye of a needle has a better chance than a sinner doing those things. Than a sinner being saved. That's, that's interesting how Jesus is teaching this truth. He's saying a sinner to forsake his sin, a sinner to get saved, a sinner to go to heaven on his own to enter the kingdom of God. That's impossible. You think a camel going through an ivory needle? You think a turtle climbing up, setting itself on top of a fence post are impossible? This is impossible. For anyone to be saved and go to heaven, that's impossible. Look at the response of the disciples, verse 26. They were even more amazed, more astonished, and said to him, Then who can be saved? I mean, if it's, I mean, we're thinking, man, a camel through an eye of a needle, that's impossible. And you're saying that, that's a, that there's, there's a more like, uh, likely chance, there's, more, there's a higher chance of that happening than a sinner being saved and going to heaven. Then who can be saved then, Jesus? You can almost like hear the crickets in the background. Cricket, <laughs> cricket. Right? 27, verse 27. Look at, look, looking at them, Jesus said, Exactly, that's my point. With people, it, okay, referring to being saved and going to heaven, entering the kingdom of God, that is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. With people, salvation, going to heaven, entering the kingdom of God, being a disciple of Jesus Christ, that's impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Listen, students. I know you can do a lot of physical things on your own. I mean, you are young. You are, you know, you are in the prime of your life. You're strong. You can do a bunch of things on your own as a, as a young person. But, but listen to what Jesus is teaching you tonight. You have zero ability. Okay? Zero ability to do what only God can do for you, which is to forsake your sin like, like what the rich young religious man could not do and did not do, and to enter the kingdom of God to be saved. You have zero ability to do that. If you think that you do, that's going to prevent you from being saved. A camel going through an eye of a needle, turtle on a fence post, that's more p- possible than you saying, yeah, I think I can save myself. I think, I'm a, I think I'm a good person. I think I can do this on my own. 
Jesus is saying, impossible. You need God's ability. You need God's grace and mercy in order to be saved. So beliefs that prevent you from being saved, you're a good person, you have the ability. Lastly, number three, that you're deserving. Okay, that you deserve God's mercy, that you deserve God's grace, that you deserve to be saved. You might be sitting there, you know, comparing yourself to the rich young ruler, comparing yourself to the disciples, comparing yourself to your classmates, comparing yourself to the, to the news that you, that you see and hear on TV, comparing yourself to, you know, your, your bad acquaintances, you know, the bad influence at school, and you're saying, yeah, yeah, those people don't deserve God's grace. Don't be, th- those people, those types of people don't deserve to go to heaven, but I do. But I do. I'm a good person. I actually have the ability to do those things. So, yeah, I, I deserve to be a Christian. If that's what you believe about yourself, that actually prevents you from being saved. The story continues on. So the young man had already left a while back, right? Jesus just taught the disciples, the 12, a very important lesson. You guys have zero ability to do anything that's spiritual, especially salvation. And then now, you know, the, 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 the classroom kind of gets, you know, um, narrower and narrower. So, so the rich young man to the disciples and now to Peter. Peter needed an extra lesson. Look at verse 28. Peter began to say to Jesus, Behold! It's like, check, check this out, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, the rich man, you know, the rich religious young man. Yeah, I kind of I saw that coming. You know, he wasn't going to get saved. Uh, these 11 guys over here behind me, yeah, they think, they think they're able. But check this out, Jesus. Behold, we have left everything and followed you. I think, you know, really focusing on himself, you know, he's the representative of the 12. Hey, Jesus, we have left everything and followed you. Now, Matthew added something that Mark didn't include here. Um, in, in, in the story of Matthew, Peter says it this way. We've left everything to follow you, so what's in it for us? We've, Jesus, we, come on, like, behold, check this out. We've left everything and followed you. We are your disciples, followers. We're following you so that we can learn from you, so that we can become like you. We've done that by leaving everything behind. So what's in it for us? What's in it for us? Peter's essentially saying, hey, Jesus, look, look at everything we've sacrificed for you. Look at everything we've sacrificed for you. Left everything just to follow you. We definitely deserve something. We definitely deserve something from you, something special from you. Now, if you have the ESV, I think their translation of the next uh, verses is better. So I'm going to read that and just, just follow along. If you have ESV, uh, you can easily just follow as I read it. If you don't, just follow to my words as I read it. Because it's, 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 it's a really long run-on sentence. Okay, and ESV, I think, connects it better. Okay, starting in verse 29. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, so this is Jesus answering Peter in his you know, proud moment. 
Truly I say to you, Peter, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel's sake, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. This is interesting. They'll also receive persecutions, okay, in this time. And then in the age to come, they're going to receive what? Eternal life. Okay, it's a long sentence, but you get the point, right? Peter's saying, hey, we've left everything for you, so what's in it for us? And Jesus says, calm down, (laughs) okay? There is something for you, okay? There is something for you. Look at verse 29 again. There is something for you. I know you have left your house, your brothers and your sisters, your mother and your father, your children and lands. For my sake, I know you guys have done that genuinely. And for the gospel, I know, you've, I know you've done that for the gospel so that you can proclaim the gospel so the gospel would spread all over the world. But none of you who have done that will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Now look at the list of what they will receive. Is it a... Is it a complete um, parallel to what they gave up? Did you guys catch something? If you were reading along or paying attention? So they're saying, we gave up these things. And Jesus says, I know you have for my sake and for the gospel, but you're actually going to receive a hundredfold while you're you're here on earth alive. And then he lists it out. What's what's the difference between the lists? Yes, Elias. There's persecution, and he also didn't mention having fathers. Having fathers. You guys catch, catch that? There's no, they're not going to receive their fathers. Why is that? What's that? Because they have a heavenly father who will take care of them. Yeah, that's, I think that's a really good um, conclusion there. But, but look at it. They're also going to receive persecutions. What's in it for you, Peter? <laughs> Let me tell you what's in it for you. Persecutions. Because those who follow me, those who believe in me, those who preach the gospel will 100% be what? Persecuted. Persecuted. 100% money back guarantee. That's, that's what you're going to get. Persecution. And then Jesus says, but in the age to come, meaning when you die, you will receive what? Eternal, Eternal life. Jesus is saying, Peter, I'm aware of the sacrifices you've made. You don't have to tell me. You don't have to say, what's in it for me? I'm aware of those things. For me and for the gospel. You will receive rewards right now and persecution and also rewards in heaven. But that doesn't make you deserving of anything. Just because you sacrifice things for me and for the gospel doesn't make you deserving of anything. Especially your salvation. That's the lesson that Jesus is teaching Peter here. He just taught the, he just taught the, the rich young religious man of a lesson. You're, you're not good enough, kid. <laughs> you're not good enough. And then the disciples, he taught them, hey, you have zero ability to anything good. You have zero ability to save yourself, to do anything that's spiritual. And then here to Peter, he gets you know, an extra lesson. Peter... You, just because you've sacrificed something for me doesn't make you deserving of anything. Doesn't make, it doesn't make you worthy of 
what I can give you. One of my favorite pastors from the 1900s, a long time ago, is a, is a pastor named Martin Lloyd-Jones. I mean, maybe you've heard that name before. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was one of the best doctors in London. That's why I like reading his biography and, and his books because he was a doctor first and he was one of the best doctors in London uh, at a young age. And um, uh, after practicing uh, medicine for a long time, he, he got saved and then he wanted to become a pastor. And people ask him why he did that, why he wanted to switch occupations. And he said, he was being interviewed, he said, he said to those people, if you knew more about the work of a doctor, you would understand. You would understand why I went and became a pastor. We spend most of our time rendering people fit to go back to their sin. Love that. Love that statement. We spend most of our time rendering people, you know, helping people get better just so that they can go back, you know, leave the hospital and go back to what? Going back to their sin. I was helping these men to sin and I decided that I would do no more of it. I, want, I, I now want to heal souls. If a man has a diseased body but his soul is well, he is all right to the end. It's fine till the end. He will receive eternal life like Jesus has promised here to, the, to Peter. A man with a healthy body but a diseased soul is all right for 60 years or so. He's okay for six years or so. But then he has to face eternity of hell. That's what he said to those people. And then fast forward in 1927, he took a 90... Well, when, when he finally switched from being, being a doctor to being a pastor in a small town in England, he took, in 1927, he took a 90% pay cut. 90% pay cut when he became a pastor. And people praised him for his sacrifice. Oh, Dr. Lloyd-Jones, we love you. For you to, to leave your practice, your successful practice in London, and, and we heard that you're even willing to, pay, uh, to, to, uh, to receive a 90% pay cut just so that you can come to this small town and pastor our church and pastor, pastor us. Thank you. What a sacrifice they were saying to him. But listen to what he said to them, to those people. He said... I didn't sacrifice anything. I gave up nothing, he said. Jesus did that. And as a result, I gained everything. Lloyd-Jones said, I sacrificed nothing. Jesus did all the sacrificing for me. I did nothing, but I received everything. He said, to be a pastor is not a sacrifice, it's a promotion. Man. He said, to be a pastor is not a sacrifice. I, did, I, I don't deserve anything just because I took a 90% pay cut. Come on, Jesus did everything for me on the cross. I gained everything. I didn't do anything. So to be a pastor, that's no sacrifice at all. I'm not the sore loser, he's saying. In the, in the equation here, I gain everything. That's what Jesus is teaching here. Look at Jesus' final word to Peter. Back in the story in Mark chapter 10, look at the last verse, verse 31. Jesus says to Peter, But many who are first will be last, and the last first. 
But many who are first will be last and the last first. Again, he's talking about what they are going to receive because they did sacrifice for Jesus, but it didn't, it didn't mean that Jesus owed them anything. It didn't make them deserving of anything. So listen, students, here's the, the lesson again. You know, I want to make sure that kind of like, you know, what Jesus is trying to do here, making it very simple for you tonight and for the rest of the weekend. The main lesson is this. Jesus is not offering salvation to those who think they are good enough. Okay, the gospel, salvation, okay, entrance into the kingdom of God in heaven, that is not offered for those who think they are good enough. The rich young religious man didn't get it because he thought he was good enough. The gospel, salvation, is not being offered by Jesus to, to those who think they are able to save themselves, that they have the ability to do it on their own. And also, Jesus is not offering the gospel salvation to those who think they deserve it. Mark is saying here, those types of beliefs, students, those beliefs that you may be believing about yourself, those are the very kind of beliefs that are going to prevent you from being saved, from becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. You know who, uh, who Jesus is offering salvation in the gospel to? Those who believe that they are not, not good people. Those who believe that they are what? Sinners. We're going to look at that tomorrow morning. Those who believe that they are sinners. And those who believe that they can't save themselves. That they need somebody else to do it for them. That they need somebody else's life, perfect life and perfect death to save them. That's the kind of person that Jesus saves. And thirdly, Jesus saves, Jesus offers the gospel to those who deserve, who who, um, who, who don't think that they deserve God's grace and mercy. And we're going to look at that Sunday morning. Those who believe that they are undeserving. Kind of like Martin Lloyd-Jones. So for tonight, here are the questions. Okay, when you guys go to your, to your groups, and um, you can go to a cabin, you can stay here, you can go... You can go in the, the cafeteria. Just make sure you guys are, are spread apart so, so uh, you can have you know, your own quiet space. But here are the questions for tonight. And maybe the leaders, if you want to snap a picture of it. It went off. Oh, sorry. You guys, did you guys take a picture of it? Oh, look at that. <laughs> it's gone. Oh, it's back. So those are the questions for tonight. Okay. And you guys have an hour, so I hope you, you'll be able to cover these six questions. And uh, tomorrow, we are going to look at the story of a person who believed that he was a sinner, not a good person. And that person got saved. Okay? We're going to look at that tomorrow. Let me pray, and then we are going to uh, split up into our groups. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for Mark chapter 10, the story of the 
rich religious young man and also the lessons that Jesus taught the disciples and, and all the way to, to Peter. I do think about these students uh, often. You, you know that, Lord. You know that there are students who think they are saved and they are. There are students who, who uh, know that they are not saved and you know that. And some of them don't know where they are spiritually. And you know that you know that as well, and and sadly there there are those who really believe they are Christians, but but they're really not. So I pray that this first session uh, gave them clarity of personal beliefs, beliefs that we believe about ourselves that that actually prevent us from becoming Christians, from being saved. So I pray that that they were able to to get that from the passage. I pray that that those truths are in their hearts now and in their minds, and I pray that you would use that to transform them from the inside out and really think about where they are spiritually and that they would use this weekend, use their time in your word, use their time under the preaching of your word and also their access to their leaders um, to get clarity and to get um, your grace and your mercy Uh, from the gospel. Uh, Bless the rest of our night. And again, we're thankful to be here. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.